0: So the vertical axis is the confidence axis. You start with high confidence and you go down to unsure. And then the horizontal axis is the inputs, external and internal. The premise that I put in it is most of us are just given the the half the map of this personal growth journey or leadership journey. So the first one is external confidence. It's the observed quadrant. You're copying basically what you've seen done. You've seen parents lead, you've seen coaches lead, you've seen teachers lead things. So when somebody gives you something to do, to lead, to have responsibility over, you just do what you've seen done. With the positive motivational speakers I listened to growing up, they would say, if you're a leader and you turn around and no one's following you, you're just out for a walk.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Mark A. Pittman. Mark's the CEO of the Concord Leadership Group and author of an interesting book titled The Surprising Gift of Doubt. Use uncertainty to become the exceptional leader you are meant to be. And in today's conversation, Mark and I talk about the importance of developing and embracing your personal style. I mean, this is critical for individual contributors in sales as well as sales leaders. So we dive into the choices that people have to make, whether to keep seeking for help outside yourself, you know, listening to somebody else's system to try to solve your problems, or to finally discover what will work for you. And Mark and I dig into why you should make the choice to write the rules for yourself and determine your own way of measuring your success in sales. Now, I talk about this a lot for sellers because you need to develop your own way of selling. course, you'll have many influences on you, mentors, coaches, customers, books, and so on. But experiment and find the one thing that is authentic to you and that enables you to become the best version of yourself. Use what others model and teach and what you know to be true about yourself to sell. Lots of interesting perspectives on personal growth today. Make sure you stick around and check it out. Now, before we get to Mark, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing with a review, we'd really appreciate it. So thank you. Alright, let's jump into it. Mark, welcome to the show. It's so
0: honored to be here. Thanks, Andy.
1: Well, pleasure to have you here. Uh, you're joining us from where today?
0: Greenville, South Carolina.
1: Greenville, South Carolina. I have a friend of company owns a family baking company, not too far from there. Uh, ever heard of Caroline's Cakes?
0: No, but now I'm really intrigued.
1: All right, we'll talk after the show. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> you can order a mail order. They are classic South Carolina seven layer caramel cakes, and they are so good. Uh,
0: oh yes, they they supported it at a conference I spoke at here. Yes, okay. those were delicious. Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, yeah. So good friend to have. Yeah. Well. Yeah, you know, here's this is, this is an ad for you, chick, uh, my friend. To, uh, <laughs> everybody listens if you want a fabulous dessert. Speaking of South Carolina, Caroline's cakes get them shipped across the country. Um, guaranteed to put on some weight, but they're well worth it. Yes.
0: Add to your COVID 19. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: add to your COVID 19. Exactly. Still working my COVID 19 off, by the way. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. So, well, welcome. A little, little <laughs> digression there on cakes made me hungry, but um, yeah. <laughs> we're going to be talking about your book today, a book called The Surprising Gift of Doubt, Using Uncertainty to Become the Exceptional Leader You're Meant to Be. And yeah, the theme of the book really resonated with me, and I, I, I think will for a lot of people, which is that it's about the importance of developing your own personal style. And in order to serve, as you said, to your own unique way of operating in the world, it's something that I'm passionate about. I write about my next book coming out February 2022 is all about this, which is, if and more from a sales focus, but yeah, if you want to become the best version of yourself in whatever you're doing, is you need to sort of seize the autonomy, if you will, and experiment mm-hmm. and yeah, develop your personal style, and unfortunately, so much of sales these days is oriented towards, well, how can I make everybody else, you know, operate and sound just like everybody else, uh, as opposed to becoming the best version of themselves.
0: Well, and that's, I think part of it's because you can manage that. So, as a sales professional, if you're good at sales, usually we get good at something and then we're promoted into our level of incompetence, you know, the whole Peter mm-hmm. principle. So, right. the good salespeople who are really like the sales process get into managing sales, salespeople, and aren't really good at the management part because, so they try to make mini me's uh, and try to force people into their own kind of sales outfit, which doesn't fit.
1: Yeah. Well, it's sort of, Supported these days by the fact that now we have so much technology that we're able to really have more insight and transparency into the selling process. And we can sort of say, oh, well, we can pick out the unique things that Jennifer does, who's our number one salesperson now. We're going to coach everybody in these specific things to be just like Jennifer, as opposed to saying, let's, yeah, what Jennifer does is interesting. This could work for you. Why don't you experiment with that and maybe put your own spin on it and then? You know, integrate that into your style as opposed to this is what you need to be doing.
0: Well, as I've been listening to your, your uh, episodes, it's been very interesting because uh, there are so many applicable things with leadership and sales. But it reminded me of one of my favorite clients who I was hired in to train there. It was a $193 million a year fundraising organization mm-hmm. or nonprofit. And if you're, <laughs> I had a sales rep, software sales rep tell me that if you can do sales for me as a nonprofit fundraiser, I was doing sales without giving anybody a product. Right. I said, at least I, I sell code, but at least I give them a box. <laughs> so you're just giving them hopefully a good feeling. But this um, this trainer had me come in, and it wasn't the head of the department. It was this. the most effective um, sales or fundraising manager I've ever seen. She actually coached her individuals to, we have outcomes that we have to hit, targets we have to hit. Yep. And she hadn't done that before. So she was really, there was a flexibility of adhering to the outcomes, but also letting the path to that outcome be a little bit, you know, there were best practices and benchmarks and they were trying sure. to study, always study, but it was also allowing for the, the individuality where the, the VP of the operation had 20 years of Xerox sales experience. And he had had this amazing breakthrough 20 years in of, I don't have to force the process. I can just listen to people and I'll know when the right time is to to make a, an ask. So he was training his brand new team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was training his brand new team. Hey, just just become their best friend. If you're going to their fishing trips or if they're inviting you to their their weddings, then you know you're doing your job. And and my my thing was no, if you're raising money, you know you're doing your job. Right. Yeah, the object
1: is um, not to become their friends. And this is nope. a particular nobody type. needs
0: another great friend. <laughs>
1: yeah, this this is sort of poignant at this moment just because I posted yesterday, day before we record this on LinkedIn because there's been this this. Um, there's a small cohort of sort of sales thought leaders that post that say, "Eh, we're in the post-relationship age. Right? Relationships, yeah, You don't need relationships and sales. What are you talking about? Customers don't want it. But what they do is there's, they conflate a relationship with a friendship. And oh, yeah, and it's like, well, is, this sort of, is this a generational thing? I mean, I I certainly didn't grow up thinking relationships or friendships." Um, is it's yeah you know, the way two or more things are connected, in this case is people. So if you're selling to someone, you're connected to them, and thus you're in a relationship.
0: Do you think it's because it, um, I've heard you say so many times too that uh, people are coming to the sales process further, having done a lot of their own research. So what people thought was relationship before, they don't need the chit chat as much as the they're presenting with a problem.
1: Well, I think that I think it's not. Just chit chat, right? Is is you yeah. Know, there's a body of science that says that small talk is important in order Absolutely. to build a connection with another human being. We're wired to want to be connected, so we can't. We're not. We're not repealing the law of of relationship physics uh, just because we don't want it to exist. Is yeah. But people, you don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time and do it, but you don't have to in order to to build that connection with someone. Um, so I think regardless of where people are coming in to the where sellers are engaging, whatever point in the buying process sellers are engaging, you still have to build a level of trust with someone. And so the door to trust starts with this human connection. Uh, and,
0: and not faking it. So that's where the, the doubt of uh, where people start feeling like they're copying the other person, they're being inauthentic. P- customers will pick up on that and mm. they won't necessarily know they'll think it's their own sort of intuition of something's not right here and they don't realize it's projected from the salesperson as opposed to being uh, received from you know their own intuition or their own gut sense
1: well but the intuition works on the part of the seller as well right so this is I think is when you talk about personal style is is part of this is your intuition is listen to your gut right if, if you're being trained or asked to say something that you're just not comfortable with. And not not that it's unethical, but it's just, you know, it's right. it's an approach that just doesn't resonate with you. You don't feel it aligns with who your what your personal style is. Listen to your gut. Do it differently. You know, that's the thing I, I keep stressing is and this is why I think so many sales managers these days do a disservice to people by trying to make them conform to a specific process or way of doing things that's so detailed oriented as opposed to saying, yeah, here's here's the general framework of the process. We do have these best practices, but the goal is to help you become, I said, the best version of yourself within that process. And that so yes. Yep. You have to listen to well, your gut. I think
0: I think part of it it's that it's what makes it particularly messy is it's not just your personal preference. You may not like saying something um, I, I just was talking. One of my clients had gone into financial sales and financial services, and he loved talking financial services. He didn't like feeling forced to then close uh, a deal. And um, he would have been, if so, I think part of it's learning a new habit. If you're in a sales position, there are going to be some things that you need to learn to say your own way, but you well, don't, don't just like not say it because it's. Right. Yeah,
1: you still need to do the job,
0: right? Right. So, and that's one of the things. Whenever I do trainings for for staff, whenever I talk about different personality assessments or something, I always end it with, "We're in an artificial construct here in an organization. You were brought into this organization to do a job. So just because it doesn't feel comfortable, doesn't necessarily mean you're off the hook (laughs) from you know whether it's cleaning toilets or doing whatever else. There's still things that have to get done."
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah but this this idea of, of personal solos is, is one again that i I think is so important and one that I you know write and talk about a lot and it's mm. it's um I was just having this conversation with somebody before you, and I hopped on this is is I think part of the issue is is that increasingly in businesses we assume well, we've always done this, we've always assumed, but now the <laughs> the assumption is now. It's it's creating worse problems than perhaps in the past is is we assume that that let's say salespeople you know there's a certain Mm -hmm. amount of this we're talking about this just basic interpersonal skills that need to exist uh, in order to to have a you know a long term career in in sales is we assume people know how to do those things right we 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 assume that and let's take example. Yeah, you know, Dan Pink talks in his book to sell as human that what three-quarters of white-collar workers have some responsibility for getting work done through other people. I mean, they have to influence other people to get their job done. Right. That for me, that it boils down to some simple core human skills that that you need to have in order to do that. But we assume people have those. And so we bring people in, and we onboard them into a process, and go do these things. And we are completely unmindful of the fact of whether they know how to build rapport, whether they know how to just basic connect with another human being, whether they know how to show interest in another person, uh, you know, empathy, and all these things. Your
0: curiosity, which, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, right. And it seems like we need to sort of reorient as leaders. Need to reorient how we train people.
0: Well, and that's where uh, you you saw uh, part of my story was I had homework from being in school, and then my parents gave me homework because right. I was a pitman, and Yeah, it, which was sounded, really... oh, it
1: sounded horrible, by the way, but yes. Oh, it
0: did, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm, I, I'm sorry for all the, all the uh, kids of par- people that are listening to me that are like, I wish I had learned those social skills. But my parents are going through the same sort of, I wish I had learned how to, you know, Dale Carnegie Uh, How to influence people? How to have good conversations? How to have tough conversations? How to set goals? I wished I had learned that when I was in high school. So they just started assigning it to my sister and myself, (laughs) and we thought it was normal. Um, And I was glad when I get to college though, because it was sort of, I was it was a vocabulary I understood, and yeah.
1: Well, yeah, well, I I, (laughs) people sometimes ask me, okay, well, so what's the root cause of sort of bad selling, right? And We strip away everything else. And to me, it oftentimes comes down to failure on these sort of core human skills, you know, ability Mm -hmm. to connect with someone, your curiosity, innate curiosity, to be interested in other people, empathy, so on. Is, to your point, I say, well, yeah, the big cause is bad parenting.
0: That's that's what, one of the things. Whenever I hear a speaker kind of dump on a particular generation, I'm Gen X, so we get dumped on. Millennials and Gen Z, I guess, are the next to get dumped on. I know you on.
1: Gen Xers are horrible, yes.
0: I know we are, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, we just saw a chart. A chart our, our One of our kids is giving us a hard time, and my wife found a chart on a TV show that showed all four generations, and it was Silent Boomer, Millennial Z. There's no extras in there. It was really funny, <laughs> but but it was it's it, what amazes me is we're whatever generation is usually doing the insulting on the younger generation is the one that parented that generation. So oh, yeah. it's just it's just the seeds that were, that were sown from the parenting.
1: Well, but yeah, well in my case, my, you know, one of the things my parents did extremely well. I mean, they had <laughs> a great childhood in general, but one of the things they did <laughs> deliberately is. Mm-hmm. They put us into social situations with adults when we were kids, where we yeah. had to connect with them. We had to speak with them as as you know, almost peers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless, even though there's mismatched social status between a kid and an adult, sure. and they put us into those social situations, so that I felt that like when I started entering the workforce, I didn't know this at the time. As years later, I sort of looked back and said, "Oh wow, okay, that was that was really smart. Uh, mm-hmm. I was prepared." Even though I, you know, my first year in sales, I looked like I was twelve and was going out trying trying to sell. That's why I have a beard
0: because it made me a little less young looking. The people didn't place me.
1: Those weren't allowed back in the day when I was doing it. Um, That's true. But but yeah, I mean, it it was. I think that's what got me through. Is I was able to sit down with someone and have you know CEO of a company and have a conversation. And initiate a conversation, and engage, and you know, connect, engage in a little bit of small talk, but just enough to you know get to the point. I think that got me through the first couple of years, where I fundamentally felt hugely uncomfortable doing everything else associated with the job. But, uh, but did
0: your parents do that intentionally, or was that just natural to them?
1: I think it was intentional, right? I mean, I think we used to think what they were doing was showing us off when we were kids, <laughs> right? Because you know wow, they're, they're smart, they're, they engage well with the. At one
0: point I was doing that and I got my kids, I said, okay, listen, I just realized what I did to you. I, they were really young. I said, I'm treating you like a trained seal. So the next time I do that to you, you have every right to start waving, <laughs> clapping your arms and going, because or, or, <laughs> I need to be called out on that. That's not right.
1: fair. <laughs> but in retrospect, yeah, there was obviously some showing off, but, but it was mostly just, I think it was, they were teaching us a life skill. Yeah. well, the reason I
0: asked is that when we found out we were pregnant, my wife and I, uh, with our first now twenty one year old, um, he we started interviewing, I guess it's a Franklin Covey, you know habit to begin with the end of mine. We looked at yeah. all the kids. We were living in a boarding school campus, and we looked at all the kids we enjoyed, um and then we decided to interview their parents. what you know what rituals did you have? What books did you read? Right. And part of it was the pressure of my own having been assigned other texts. So right. I remember asking one couple. What So what books did you read? And they looked at each other like it was the most foreign thing. Uh, And then they, after a long pause, they looked back at us relieved. They said, oh, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings was really good. Uh, <laughs> Chronicles, the Chronicles of Yarnio, we really enjoyed. Which was nice. I mean, everybody else is parenting this and fun, you, right. know, you know, goal setting that. So it was right. really relieving. But it was, I think, one of the things we noticed was the kids that we liked also had been around uh, different generations, were able to talk with the generations instead of just talking with their cohort. Right. So.
1: Well, I think it's, it's, again, back to this idea we're assuming that, that, yeah, you know, Gen Zs and Millennials coming to the workforce have these skills. Is is and this is not a criticism. My stretch of imagination, but all. the technology no. is that that they're messaging. They're not having conversations, and as much as we did, no, right? They're not. not spending hours on the phone like we were doing when we were kids. And get off the phone. I mean, it's probably been thirty years since any kids ever heard a parent say that, right? Yeah. Um
0: <laughs> we were just joking uh this week with a friend of mine. I said, Did you ever have that one phone in the middle of the house with the super long cord that got really kinked up because it was stretched too much? And he he got it too, but yeah, now
1: yeah. Well we one. had that when I was growing up, but yeah. Yeah, once, no, no, growing once, up. Once yeah. And, yeah, we had you know, cordless phones. So, uh, that was such a great innovation. But but the point being is that <laughs> that you know, the conversations they're having are message based and sort of yeah. uh yeah, you know, not 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 verbal in the same way that they need to be when they come into the workforce. So again, why do we assume, in terms of helping these people develop a personal style? Why do we assume that they even have the the basic skills, right? And so we hire these. And people again, out of I, I, do, I know
0: that you're saying this, but I want to make sure that people hear this is not an insult at all. This is you're. I mean, you're just stating something that is
1: well. It's it's a shortcoming that we have as organizations and as as corporations. Is yes. Yeah, instead of dumping on other generations, let's let's enable them. Let's give them the tools. Let's not assume because the world has changed dramatically um, and in terms of the way they communicate and the relationships they build when they're growing up. And we're asking them to do something completely different that they have no experience doing on multiple dimensions when we bring them into sales yeah. as as newbies.
0: Yep. That's really good. That's why I find that I don't I don't know if you found this to be I, well. I actually do because I've listened to you and read your stuff. But um, the personality assessments and all part of what I love about them is, is if they're not used to constrict or to um, uh, get people, they're not used to get out people off the hook or to limit their potential. But they give if they're used well, they can be a common language of seeing oh the p- other people see the world differently than me. So some you know when you're training a new person, they might. Not realize that other people aren't all facts driven mm-hmm. they want some they want to talk about their kids or they don't want to talk about their kids and it doesn't mean they're not interested in you they just are they're calling you or talking to you to get a, some a task completed and so let's complete the task with them
1: right well let' let's dive into the thing about assessments because you know when you laid out your your four quadrants of leadership growth that's really Personal growth, right? It's, I mean, I, that's how I read the book. It's personal growth we could put into a leadership construct. But if we want to develop a, a personal style, we need to serve, not sort of, we need to understand who we are. And yeah.
0: thank you for pointing that out because I didn't see that when I wrote the four quadrants at all. Oh. It was when my wife looked at it. She said, Where'd you get this? And I said, I made it. And she said, no, because this is me when I was learning this skill. These I went through each of these stages as I was yeah. learning to be a homeschooling mom, as I was learning to do these other things. So, so, yeah. So, thank you for calling that out because I didn't realize that. I thought it was just how my clients would show up uh, as, as for coaching.
1: Well, it's a great thing about writing a book and so digressing true. for a second is that, you know, somebody once I learned this with my first book is I had no idea what it was about until people read it. And fed back to me what they thought it was about, um, or I, I thought I knew it was about, but it was actually about something different.
0: Right. And so yeah.
1: when I was writing my second book, uh, the one before this one that's going to be coming out, is somebody said, "Well, what's it about?" And my answer was, "I'll let you know after we publish it and people read it."
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. Um,
0: but I interrupted you. Sorry about that. But it is, yeah, that's so true. And I was really glad I had enough musicians in my life that said, uh, or poets that said, wait, I don't know what I've written until people feed back to me. And they didn't try to force it. Because I would have forced people into saying, no, <laughs> this is yeah. what I wrote.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is what I wrote. Well, I think it's, anybody listening, because increasingly in sales, we we all publish content, right? We're post true. on LinkedIn and so on. Get it out there, right? Get it out there. <laughs> if you've got a thought, get it out there. It'll help you clarify
0: yes. your own
1: thoughts when you do that. Um, okay, so back to personality assessments and assessments in general. Yeah, I got to be honest, I'm not a huge fan. Okay. Uh, but I think it sort of goes back to your point about how they're used, right? Mm-hmm. Is oftentimes, I believe, certainly in the sales space, the personality assessments are oversold as being more highly correlative than they are. Right. And the and you talk about in the book, because you know the science is unclear about assessment <laughs> in general, being generous. Yes.
0: Um, yeah, that was really generous.
1: <laughs> but they are a data point though. Right. And I think that's that's where the importance comes in, right? Is is if as you talk about, as you go through this journey sort to determine who you are and what your style is, is Avail yourself of resources. Now, you may not agree, it may or may not be right, who knows, but get the data point.
0: Well, and and what I love doing on Teams is helping just something as simple as DISC. I, I would I've been speaking for a long time, and the part that frustrated sure. me the most in on these talks was the DISC personality: active, reserve, people, right. task-centered. Was what people really resonated with the most? Something that was ancient Greek. It was nothing that I came up with, <laughs> but right. um, but what I love doing, even in rooms of of thousand, is getting people to move into those four quadrants. But it's more fun when it's small teams, and they yes. start seeing that's why you respond that way. Oh my goodness, and there it's just sort of a vo- as long as it stays at that level of a common vocabulary as 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 opposed to a so you can never do sales because you're just way too techy or you can never do sales because you're an introvert or
1: um Well, yeah. I mean, I I, I don't know. This was 4 years ago. Now I took one of sort of the major sales personality and aptitude assessment tests. Um because the CEO was on the show and and you know wanted me to do it, and I took it and you know took it online, and he calls me back almost instantly and said,
0: well,
1: "Yeah, are you okay? I was like, well, what do you mean? Well, did like were you you know fooling around when you took this?" I said, "No. <laughs> Why? Oh, no. oh, your score was so low. I just couldn't believe. It. It's like." Oh, what you're saying is, I should have been a shepherd, not a salesperson. Well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so you know, God, and I well, took it seriously. I, I wasn't trying to game it, but I, you know, I think yeah. there are limits limits to it. But I think things like disc um, are a little more simple. Um, yes, they give totally you a framework to, to understand yourself, but um, yeah, they are data point. Like it's such you use them for hiring. That's a data point. Uh, right. I, I resist the ones that, you know, make the claim. Oh, this person doesn't have the sales gene. Right? That's, I you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I
0: didn't realize that was in our in our structure.
1: Wow. Oh no, yeah, yeah it's, it's in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> in the in the double helix, um, right? That's
0: why I always so, did debate because I was a salesperson. <laughs>
1: <up there>. Yeah. <laughs> well. Let's go through your four quadrants, though, because you lay it out. It's a fairly easy construct for people to understand. Mm-hmm. I think this idea of, as I said I'm passionate about this, developing your personal style. At, um, you know, it sort of talks about how you evolve through these quadrants to develop that. So, four quadrants, one through four, you can sort of imagine this you know, quadrant on the board. So, take us through from one to four.
0: So the vertical axis uh, is the confidence axis. You start with high confidence and you go down to unsure. And then mm-hmm. the horizontal axis is the inputs, external mm-hmm. and internal. And my the premise that I put in it is most of us are just given the the half the map of this personal growth journey or leadership journey. So the first one is uh, external confidence. You're you're it's the observed quadrant. You're. Copying basically what you've seen done. You've seen other people for in the construct or the way I, I share it. You've seen parents lead. You've seen coaches lead. You've seen teachers lead things. So when somebody gives you something to do, to lead, to have responsibility over, you just do what you've seen done. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the positive motivational speakers I listened to growing up, they would say, "If um, if you're a leader and you turn around and no one's following you, you're just out for a walk." And that. <laughs>
1: Sounds like
0: Earl Nightingale. It does, doesn't it? So no. it may have been. So that kind of thing just kind of uh, hits your confidence, and you slide down into quadrant two, which is where you start exploring. And it's not the exploring that we'll talk about after. It's more the exploring of what's wrong with me. This isn't working. Something's defi- there's a deficit, and I need to fi- fix the deficit. And it's the the report card. It's the you know. So you got an eighty five. Where's the other fifteen percent? So right. yeah. So th- so that you're. It looks like you're going to say.
1: But also, as you talk about in the book, though, is when you get to this stage where in quarter one, you're copying, in quadrant two, you want somebody to come in and fix it for you.
0: Exactly, yeah. So you go to the, the guru or the webinar or whatever it is to try to get it fixed. And it, the doubt keeps growing because you keep seeing that all of the different systems that are supposed to be totally perfect don't fit necessarily for you.
1: Well, and I This really resonated with me because... As someone, an you know, entrepreneur, had my own business in the last 10 years, really gotten into digital marketing. And, and you know, I think about, yeah, all the money I spent uh, <laughs> you know, as not alone on, you know, these digital marketing systems that, yep. yeah, at heart it was because, yeah, I had doubts about my own intuition, you know, the reliability of my own intuition about how to do these things. And, invariably in all cases I sort of came back to taking learnings but coming up with my own plan.
0: Well, and that's the gift of doubt. um, If you can move from asking the question, what's wrong with me to what if I were exactly right for this position? Right. How would I approach it? And so then you can get the gleanings. Like for me, it was—I share—it's getting things done. David Allen's got an amazing system for time management that people seem to—it's almost a cult following for the people that love it.
1: He's been on the show, yes.
0: He's great. I I didn't—I don't do the follow up well. I don't do the (laughs) the the, the following reviewing. I love making the list. I love putting stuff on a list I've already done so I can cross it off. But to actually then review all those different files and folders and pages did not work for me. But And so in quadrant two, the explorer quadrant, you're, you beat yourself up because you're falling short again. But the gift of doubt, if it's inviting you into the looking internally to the other half of the map, that's where you can start saying, Oh, I gleaned this from David Allen. And I am so glad I gleaned the task list project and what's the next step because i can just come right up to speed quickly when i'm on that project i know the next step um and that's where you start piecing together things in quadrant three and as you start doing that in the Analyze quadrant you regain your confidence to quadrant four which is i call the focus quadrant i, I hesitated on that because um it, it's not nirvana <laughs> we're right. still on a planet working with people and we're a person so it's not that we're we've got it all figured out no uh, But you have you know where the map you know where to kind of put your feet where to lean when you have problems that you're facing.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I said I think there's a great construct for people, and I enjoyed reading this. Is you know quadrant one, okay, we're sort of copying other people. Quadrant two, we want somebody to come in and fix it. We still have the doubt. Quadrant three, yeah, we start listening. As you talk, we start listening to our hunches and our intuition because we should, right? There's a reason. (laughs) Intuition is there's a very powerful. And this is where we start figuring out what works for us. So if you're thinking about your journey as a seller, Mm -hmm. is you know, yeah, you're getting trained in quadrant one, or you're learning, you're coming into a new company, learning something new. Yeah, you're going to look and see what you can grab from other people. Yeah, quadrant, yeah, quadrant one, quadrant two. Yeah, yeah, you may want some training. You want to read a book. Hey, tell me how to do. Quadrant three, then you start thinking, oh yeah, those aren't really working the way they should. What's missing here? And that missing piece is you, right? The missing piece is you putting yourself here and not just, you know, allocating this responsibility to someone else. And I like the way you sort of wrap it up in quadrant four. Uh, You had a line in the book, you said, you know, you use what others model and teach and what you know to be true about yourself, which is critical to lead, but I changed that which is you use what others model and teach and what you know to be true about yourself to sell. And that's this is really the critical thing mm-hmm. is you know don't sellers it's just <laughs> you have to you have to be work to become the best version of you. This is this is it. That's right. Not the best version of what your manager thinks, not you're not trying to copy, you know, Jennifer who's the top seller, you're not trying to copy their you're taking what you learn from them, integrating it into you. You're never going to succeed trying to copy someone else.
0: Well, and that, one of the things um, I learned reading your book, fit, your amp up your sales one, was that it was the follow up where some people are just you've seen. I don't know. You've probably been inflicted with this follow up automation thing of Are you still there? I'm yeah. really you know. It's like they yeah. get increasingly irritated that you're not responding to their spam, um, but the follow up of Continuing to stay in touch. Hey, here's a helpful article. Here's mm-hmm. a helpful blog post. Here's something that seems like it would. It might. I was. Come, I came across this. It might meet right. up with your needs, and that could be much more natural follow up for somebody who's having struggling with the. I don't like the irritating follow up stuff. I don't want to be a nudge. I don't want to be that guy or that gal. Right.
1: Well, oh, that's, I can and that's doing it. I like Sure, and it's doing it in a way that's that's congruent with who you are. So, mm. yeah. You know, To me, sales is, you got four key attributes you really need to focus on, which is your connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. And when you talk about this follow-up, it's really all of those, right? You're integrating all of those into that. You're maintaining the connection. You're trying to build a level of credibility and trust. You're going to do this by, so somebody sort of went silent, or maybe it wasn't the right time for them to engage, and so you want to keep engaged. You want to keep top of mind is, yeah, rather than just send, to your point, mindless sort of, hey, you know, checking in type emails, is anytime you engage with them during that interim period, nurture period, is send Mm -hmm. them something of value and see if you can engage in a conversation. I talked about the book, I believe, you know, my favorite thing was send somebody an article, an email with a link to an article, a white paper and say, you know, John, I was thinking about you this morning when I read this article Two things in here we should discuss. Yes. Can you talk at nine o'clock on Tuesday? You And, and what I liked
0: about the link to the article was that didn't the way you shared it, it didn't sound like it was a link to an article with an email sign-up form.
1: No, <laughs> it no. It's just a link to a helpful article. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No gated content. You had to sign up. You're already on my list. I don't need to inflict that on you twice. Right. But right. But I came back to the quadrant. I think it's just a great. Mm. Way for sellers, anybody, you know, somebody moving into a leadership position, is to think about, yeah, how do I, how do I put that doubt to work in order to develop confidence? And I'm such a huge believer that the confidence as a seller or as a leader only comes when you're doing it in a way that's, as I said, an alignment with your character and your values and and your beliefs.
0: I love and, how you make quadrant three, bringing yourself to the work. You've got right. the you've got the copying, you've got the people that were the solutions, the formulas and then you bring yourself to them and make them fit you as opposed to you trying to force yourself into Jennifer who's oh, a top seller. <laughs> and I think that's,
1: I think that's the the secret of life. Right, <laughs> quite honestly. And is yeah, I look at my own journey in sales is is yeah, from day 1 sales training, big company Basically horrified by it, thinking I can't be this person. I can't act this way. Uh, some people naturally could be salesy. I'm just, I'm not a salesy type. And, but I was thought I could still do a good job. But I knew I'd have to forge my own path, right? Mm. And, and I think this is what's really incumbent upon people that that want to have a career in any discipline is yeah there are there are guardrails you know there are you know best practices there are processes you sort of have to adhere to but within that process you need to find you and and bring you to the game because it's when you bring you is when your odds of success and developing the confidence go much higher
0: well and that's why I think the gift of sales is that that it's um fine tuned to help you get freed of all the stuff that really binds you <laughs> because yeah. you're putting yourself out there every day um, and you're facing rejection and you're getting scrutinized. And so there's, it's a, uh, yeah, if you, if you're able to see that it's bringing you and allowing you to become more you, that may be a more redemptive part of the grind. Cause sometimes it is a grind. Sometimes there is <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's a hard job. Yeah. And it's I'm not... still
0: twenty-five years into this, I get call reluctance, which blows my mind because I do call training, sure. but you know, that's why I batch them into five or ten or fifteen, because it, the momentum for the first two, it takes a lot to get going. It, yep. You know, yep. All no. the basics, but
1: yeah, I think it's true of everybody, right? It's it's and that's why you do that discipline of yeah, blocking it together and and building up, but it's it's uh, yeah. I was I was thinking too about sort of related to this about bringing yourself to it. As as you talk about writing the history of the future, which I thought in mm-hmm. terms of goal setting was is something people need to really think about, right? Because I think it's it's a really important important thing. Is is you know if you're a seller uh, or you're a new sales manager or even you've been at it for a while, is I call it term different i said you know what's your vision of success right nice. so what's what's your personal vision of success look like uh, you know in a 3 year term or a 6 year 10 year but just write it down you know, understand where it is today and see what that gap is between where you want to be and where you are and then you can identify what the challenges are that are preventing you from getting where you want to go, and and address them,
0: and, and in your life too. In the context sure. of bringing yourself to it, I remember doing that in my twenties because of my weird upbringing. I did it in my twenties. I wrote <laughs> yeah, my sure. yeah, I wrote my eulogy, and um and I realized. I want my kids to know that I love them, but my going off to the office to provide for them doesn't communicate love in a way that they necessarily understand. And mm-hmm. I, I was very, because of my weird upbringing too, I was ne- very clear on not when I never wanted to say I have to go to work. I always wanted to say, I get to go to work uh, because I could choose to work somewhere else. If it were a place I didn't want to be, I could choose to work somewhere else. So I tried well, to be very
1: interesting yeah. and
0: very, uh, helping my kids realize work is part of what we do as human beings on the planet. Um, so, uh, but I realized that my going away doesn't necessarily communicate love to them, so I had to choose other ways. But it was because I wrote it out that I was realizing, oh, here's a here's a possible gap. So mm-hmm. what are things I can be doing? Um, and the uh, jury's out. You know, the oldest oh, is 21, youngest is 16. So we'll find out in about t- 20 years
1: <laughs> how long. Give well yourself I, more than 20. Give that. yourself 30.
0: Okay, thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like them all, but I don't know if they're how, how infatuated with their parenting, their upbringing they've been.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. That's an interesting question. You know, I, I, I tell my kids, I said, you know, you, you, you have the relationship with your parents that you want. <laughs> and, and I think it's I think it's true. Not that, yeah, We don't talk about parenting too often, though we've talked about more on the show than I think I have over 900 episodes. But
0: uh, Well, then in the vein of that, the thing you said earlier was I called my dad up. And I, at one point I said, you were just making this up as you were going along, weren't you? Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, I really thought he was, like, I thought he had all the answers. I thought he knew what he was doing. And then about in my mid-40s, I realized, oh, I'm at where he was when he thought... Looked like he had it all together. He was just trying to figure this out too. Oh,
1: he started yeah.
0: laughing. He loved it. He's yeah, that's that's life, Mark.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I think about the case of my parents is, is yeah. I'm the youngest of four. You know, my dad was in World War II, uh, mm. navigator on a bomber in the in the Pacific, and comes home. I think in 46, 47. Uh, Forty six, end of 46, 47, He's in grad school. Married to my mom. Uh, Forty eight. The first of four kids shows up. So he has four kids within seven years. Yeah, my my parents basically were four kids by thirty, just starting the career. Wow. <laughs> and 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 my oldest brother had polio, so he was needed intensive medical care during during this period. Uh, I was the proverbial accident because I came after he, he, he unfortunately contracted polio, but yeah, they figured it out, yes. right? They figured it out to your point, is they they figured it out, they they listened to their intuition. Uh, I don't know if I doubt if my parents were reading parenting books, I'm sure they didn't read Spock, Benjamin Spock. <laughs> um, but I'm sure their parents, you know, were full of wisdom, but yeah, they. And this, I think, is, is part about being yourself is you don't have to be fully formed to have
0: mm.
1: intuition about what it is you should be doing. And I think this is for sellers is such an important lesson is that yeah. you've got to think, well, I have to have a certain amount of experience to sort of have the the right to express an opinion about you know how I should be doing things. And I just don't think that's the case. And well, and I
0: think that's where it's it's for people that aren't in the senior leadership that are thinking about this personal growth journey. Um, it's choosing where you can have the testing, the beta testing of what's your own style in right. whatever little sphere of influence you have. So it's I wouldn't do a fanfare, you know, balloon drop and confetti of, hey, I'm going to do this new thing. I'm going to trust my intuition. But it's just, you know, baby stepping sort of trying to test Experiment. out little things. Experimenting exactly and realizing well, I might be wrong. It's okay to be wrong too.
1: Yeah. Well, as, as listeners know, I'm a huge fan of Ralph Waldo Emerson and, and uh, the Transcendentalist and so on, that school of thought. But uh, yeah, famous quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is, you know, all life is an experiment. The more experiments, the better. <laughs> and it's exactly yeah. the approach you should be taking in life. That is it's, so
0: true.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can read a book, but it's not the story, it's not your story they're talking about. So it's a story. So, and I think this is, again, I urge sellers if you're newer in your career and you're trying to figure this whole thing out experiment and then, you know, understand that your story is going to be different. So you have to find your story. Yeah. You know, how How are you going to succeed in this business that's tough, that's hard, that's yeah. you know, demanding, that's full of stress and pressure uh, how are you going to adapt to it, be resilient? What are you going to do that's, that's uniquely you that, that differentiates you from everybody else that's out there? Because we are all unique individuals.
0: To your point, too, that from previous episodes, if you're overseeing them, how can you kind of create that if you're overseeing new sellers? Mm-hmm. How can you create that sort of buffer or protection to allow in safe ways people to try to explore, which we, I would call coaching? You right. know, how, can, how can you help coaching, um, help coach people and uh, ask the right questions instead of just demanding things? But it's a tough role because you still have people above you usually that <laughs> are. Expectations, have, yeah, you have huge expectations on you. Yeah. So.
1: Well, as I say, it takes courage with a small c. And that's that's what you expect of of coaches, I believe is expectation with coaches is is yeah, how do you provide some of that shelter? how do you how do you push back on the people that are pushing on you just as you expect your sellers to push back a little bit on you on the things you know, I when I coach somebody, I don't want them to accept everything I suggest or any recommendation I'd make no. or yeah, no, I want them to take it in and go think about it and say, well, how can I integrate this into who I am? Uh, if someone's just saying yeah, 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 it's like yeah, no, you're not getting the point. This is this is my perspective, and if you just accept Deep it, that's dangerous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, all right, Mark. Unfortunately, we run out of time, but uh, and we we didn't even talk that much about your book, but it was a great conversation. <laughs> this often happens on the show as we get going. But Mark's book, which I enjoyed reading, The Surprising Gift of Doubt, Use Uncertainty, Become the Exceptional Leader You're Meant to Be. We talked about the basic quadrant, four-quadrant structure. I think for everybody, that's really valuable. Uh, people want to connect with you. What's the best way to do that?
0: Uh, I'm Mark A. Pittman on Twitter uh, and on LinkedIn. So Mark with a C, Pittman with the one T. Those are probably and the, the initial best. A. And the initial A, right? And so it looks like Mark Capitan on Twitter, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> or ConcordLeadershipGroup.com. Concord with a D. All right.
1: Mark, it's been a pleasure.
0: It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Andy.
1: All right. We'll do it again. Okay. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show, and I want to thank my guest today, Mark A. Pittman, for sharing his insights with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.